You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Gospel of John, chapter 17. We'll read together verses 13 through 19. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, it is our desire, the longing of our hearts to hear the voice of our God in the pages of Scripture. We thank you for your word, and we bow now before it and pray that you would accomplish the end that you have determined for our time here together, for our meeting and our study of your word. We pray that you would be glorified through this. But our prayer is the same as that of the Lord Jesus, that you would sanctify us, your people, by your truth. Thank you that we have your word. Thank you that we have the truth. And bless our time in it now, we pray, and that your spirit, the spirit of truth, might be our teacher and our guide. In Christ's name, amen. Holiness is the end for which God has saved you. Everything that God has done for his people from eternity past all the way up to the present and will certainly continue all the way into our time of glory with him. All of that is aimed toward uh, creating a holy, set-apart, sanctified people. Uh, God is interested not so much in our happiness, but in our holiness. And that is the end for which he has redeemed us. It's the end for which uh, he has worked in his church and through his church, our sanctification, our holiness. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That is the end that God had in view. Before he ever created a people, before he ever created the creation, before he ever spoke a molecule or an atom into existence, he determined to create for himself and to redeem for himself a people for his own possession to the glory of his uh, grace and to the glory of his name. And the end of all that God has done from the beginning and eternity past the end of all of it is a holy people and holiness in your life and holiness in my life. Jude chapter 24 says that this is also the end for which God has done everything and he's working all things toward this. Jude 24, Jude writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. That's where we're headed. All believers in Jesus Christ are headed to standing in the very presence of God, blameless, without spot, without wrinkle, without sin, without impurity, without any such thing, to stand before Him holy and blameless. That's what God had in view in eternity past when He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world and blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And God has intended to save Him for Himself a people for His own precious possession. That language comes from Titus chapter 2, where Paul says that He gave Himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. And so God now, since that is the, the, the goal for, for which he 
He started all of it in eternity past, and that is the end when we stand before Him in glory, blameless, since all of that is the beginning and the end, and the goal of all of it is holiness. In this life now, in time, God is involved in sanctifying us, in making us holy and conforming us to the image of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Those whom God loved before time, He has predestined them to be conformed to the image of His Son. So, He chose you in eternity past with the end that you would be holy and blameless before Him in love. You are heading toward that goal of standing in His presence at His throne, blameless with great joy. And in the meantime, God is sanctifying and turning you into a holy people. He is turning us into a holy people. So holiness is the aim and the goal for which God has saved us. And now when we come to John chapter 17, we see that this is the thing that the Lord Jesus prays that would be true of his people, that we would be a sanctified people. So he prays in John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And looking at this section, verses 13 through 19, which is the end of this sort of middle section of the prayer where Jesus is praying for the 11, but he is praying for the 11 with all of us, all of his people in mind. Specifically in verse 20, he, he begins to pray for all of his people, not just the 11 disciples who were standing there, but for all of his people. And in verses 13 to 19, Jesus uses the word world nine different times, indicating that his concern for his people who are left in the world was that they would be kept and preserved while they are here. And so we've been looking in the last couple of weeks at the things which God has provided and done for his people while he has left us purposefully in this world. And we saw in verses 14 to 15, or is it 13 and 14? So on 13 and 14, that God has supplied us with his word and with his joy. In verses 15 and 16, that he has kept us or preserved us, secured us in this world. So he supplied us with these things, and then he has secured us. He has left us here, he's kept us here. And then while he keeps us here, he keeps us here. He protects us and preserves us and keeps us from the evil one. And now verse 17, he sanctifies us. So look at verse 17 again, and this is the verse we're going to be looking at this morning. Sanctify them in your truth, in the truth. Your word is truth. And so now we want to ask the question. We're going to actually answer three questions this morning. What is sanctification? Why is sanctification necessary? And how are we sanctified? What is sanctification? Why is it necessary? And how are we sanctified? So if you're keeping notes, and uh, not many of you do, but a few of you do, those are the three headings, and we're going to be looking at those three questions. What is it? Why is it? And how is it? This thing called sanctification. Jesus prays for it, and if it's important enough for him to pray for and for him to be concerned uh, on our behalf that we be sanctified, we ought to know what sanctification is. We ought to know why sanctification is necessary for us, and then we ought to know how it is that we are to be sanctified. So the first question, what is sanctification? What is sanctification? Let me give you a definition. Sanctification, uh, that, the word sanctification and sanctify comes from a sort of a family of, of Greek words that have to do with being set apart and being holy. The word holy in Scripture, in Greek, is hagias. So I just can get a noun and the verb confused. Hagiazo is the verb which means to make something holy. And it has the idea, uh, not necessarily always, of something that is morally pure, like we would think of, of God being holy, being morally pure, but its most basic and fundamental meaning is to be set apart. To sanctify something was to set something apart from that which is common for a special use. And in Scripture, it's used in two different ways, two different ways. Now, we have to be careful how we understand sanctification, particularly in this context, because look at verse 19, where Jesus speaks of himself being sanctified. 
For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. So there are two persons being sanctified here in this context. The disciples or, or believers, us, and the Lord Jesus. So we have to be careful how we think about sanctification. If in your mind you always think that sanctification has to do with ridding yourself of sin and becoming more and more holy, then when you get to verse 19 and you read that into the text, you're going to have a problem, right? Because Jesus says, I sanctify myself. Certainly there in verse 19, Jesus is not saying, I'm making myself more and more holy over time. I'm growing in holiness and perfection. See, that's something that Jesus could have never said. He was infinitely righteous, infinitely holy. Even in his humanity, he was the holy son of God. No imperfection, no sin, no impurity in him whatsoever. He didn't need to be sanctified in that sense. But he is sanctified in some sense. Well, there are two different ways that sanctification or the idea of sanctification was used. First, it was used in a non-moral, a non-ethical sense of just something that is set apart for a special use. In this way in Scripture, it is used of, for instance, Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. That's called the sanctified or the holy mountain. What made that mountain holy out of all of the other mountains in the world? What made that one holy? It was set apart where God met with Moses and delivered to the children of Israel His law and the Ten Commandments. So in that sense, it was set apart for a separate and special use. It's also used in Scripture of the utensils in the tabernacle and in the temple of musical instruments. It's used of people being set apart for a special purpose, a special uh, a calling and a special giftedness or a special task in serving the Lord. And it's used of dirt. Take off your shoes because the ground on which you stand is what? Holy ground, he said to Moses. Now, listen, I'm convinced that if you had, had bent down at the burning bush and taken a sample of that dirt and run a chemical analysis of it, and walk 25 feet away and take in a sample of dirt and run a chemical analysis on that, those two chemical analyses would be identical to each other. There was nothing about that dirt necessarily that was more holy or better or more heavenly than any of the other dirt around the burning bush. What made that ground sanctified, set apart, and holy ground? The presence of God on that ground. And the task for which that ground served, which was to hold that burning bush, and to meet with Moses there. That made that place a set-apart and sanctified place. There's nothing about the dirt that was holier than the other dirt. It's just that that was a place set-apart and unique and special for a special purpose. So it's used in that sense. And by the way, I think that it is in that sense that Jesus means that he is sanctified in verse 19. He was, uh, John chapter 10, verse 36, the one whom the Father sanctified or set apart and sent into the world. Jesus refers to himself as being sanctified by the Father and sent into the world. doesn't mean that he was made more morally perfect or holy and then sent into the world. It means that he was set apart as the second member of the Trinity to take upon human flesh for a specific task of dying for the sins of his people and to give himself as a ransom and an offering on our behalf. So he was set apart or sanctified for that special calling, that special purpose. But then it is also used in a, in, a, in a holy sense or in a moral sense. When it's used that way, it speaks of progressing and growing in Christ-likeness and in holiness. Now, there are three tenses to sanctification. So, so think of sanctification as being set apart, or you have set apart for a special use, but also in its moral and ethical sense of growing in Christ-likeness and holiness. Now, sanctification has three tenses. There are three tenses in which we are sanctified. It is proper for a Christian to say, in one sense, I have been sanctified. I am being sanctified, and I will be sanctified. All three of those sentences are proper for a Christian to say. I have been sanctified, I am being sanctified, and I will be sanctified. Now, 
You don't have to be a homeschooler to recognize that that's past, present, and future tenses, right? Past, present, and future tense. So as a Christian, it is entirely proper for me to say, there was a time when I have been set apart by God for a special purpose, for a special calling. When was that? I would suggest to you that it was when the Father chose us in love before the foundation of the world and gave us as a people to His Son to redeem. We have been set apart as His own special people. Jesus speaks of those who belong to Him because the Father has given those people to Him. We are His. We are His sheep. This was not something that we did in and of ourselves to make us His. It is something that He did before we were ever born. He chose us. He loved us. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. He set us apart before before we were even born and before creation as His own. But it is also true that I have been sanctified, or I am being sanctified, in the sense that as time goes on, I'm growing in holiness more and more, and He is doing that work of what He predestined us to, being conformed to the image of His Son. He is doing that work in time as you and I grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we mortify sin, we progress from one degree of glory to another, and we are transformed into the image of Christ. But that never entirely happens in this life. Even if you are as old as Lanny, you will never get to the point where you are completely sanctified, completely holy, and completely free from sin. Because even if you were to live to the age of Methuselah, which Lanny is almost there, 969 years, you would still not be entirely sanctified because you would never be rid of this one thing which hinders your holiness and your sanctification, namely your flesh. You'll grow in holiness. You'll be holier, Lord willing, and I expect if you're in Christ, You'll be holier ten years from now than you are today, but you will never be perfectly holy. But as a believer, when I leave this earth and I shed this body of death and I stand in the presence of God, then I will be made just like Him, holy in every way, perfect and pure in glory. That's the progress for a believer. We have been sanctified. We've been set apart for this purpose. We are being sanctified as we are conformed into the image of Christ. And then when we die, we will be made completely like Him, holy in every respect. I have been sanctified, I am being sanctified, and I will be sanctified. All those things are true of a Christian, but it all has to do with how we define and how we describe what sanctification is. Right? I can never say that I have been made completely holy in the sense that I no longer sin. That would be a wrong use of of sanctification in that tense. But this is something that... Has happened, is happening, and will happen in the life of a, of a true believer, a true Christian. Let me give you some verses that describe this process of sanctification. Second Corinthians 3, verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. You hear that? We are being transformed into the same image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. From glory to glory we grow. Sometimes it is imperceptible. Sometimes that growth and sanctification happens very quickly. Sometimes we get into an environment and every time we hear the Word of God preached or the Word of God read or we read Scripture ourselves, it's almost like it opens up this this view of, of truth and we, we grow in leaps and bounds for a period of time. And other times in our Christian life, it's almost imperceptible to us. We know that we're growing and we grow, but it's little by little. And so we, we fluctuate in our growth, but we're always growing. We're never going backwards. We don't, we don't recess in holiness. We're always being disciplined and growing from one degree of glory to another. Philippians 3, verse 14, 13 and 14. Paul says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a sense in which the Apostle Paul says, I haven't attained perfection yet, but I continue to press on, striving for this, working as it were according to the grace and the work of God that is at work in us. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God 
who is at work in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's the growth in sanctification and holiness. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15 says, Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. There Peter describes the command that we have to be, to be holy just as God who has called us is himself holy. And so we are to be holy in all of our behavior. This is something that has worked out in the life of a Christian over a period of time. So in what sense then is the word sanctification used in this text, verse 17? When Jesus says sanctify them by the truth, in what sense is he using the term sanctification there? It would not necessarily be the past tense where we have been sanctified in eternity past by some work that God did in his sovereignty and in his grace according to the mystery of his own will. It wouldn't be in that sense because that is something that Jesus has already spoken of that has already happened. Uh, it is not something that is intended to be done after these disciples leave, otherwise, in the future, in future, otherwise the prayer would mean absolutely nothing. It is obviously the present tense idea of sanctification. Is it used then in the sense of just setting them apart for a special use, or is it used in the sense of making them ethically and morally pure and more like Christ in holiness? I think it is both of those things. By the truth of God and by God's word, we are set apart for Him in this life unto works of service in being sent and commissioned by Him. So we are sanctified in the sense that we are set apart for God for a special purpose or use. And what is that special purpose or use? It's verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. So that's the task for which God sanctifies or sets apart his people from the world. He calls his people out of the world, sets them apart for this task of being sent back into the world as missionaries and as representatives of Christ to serve and to honor him. But it also has here a moral sense as well. It is also the sense of being sanctified and growing in Christ-likeness and holiness. It is impossible that we should be sanctified or that we should just be sent out into the world without ever being made holy or being conformed into the image of Christ. Because that's God's work in all of his children is to grow us in holiness and grow us in grace. Now it is important that we understand the difference between sanctification and justification. You may be asking yourself, why is it that you keep talking about sanctification? Because Jim... This whole thing seems like a fabricated and completely transparent attempt for you to use big words and appear smart to us. It might indeed be that, but listen, it is significant, it is important that you and I understand the difference between sanctification and justification because when we confuse these things, that is when we get into all kinds of error. For instance, when we confuse the difference between justification and sanctification, we begin to think that as I grow in sanctification, I'm also growing in justification. And let me, let me describe to you what justification is and what's Different, how it's different from sanctification. Justification happens at the moment that I receive faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and believe upon him for salvation. We are justified, and the word justified in Scripture means declared righteous. So justification is a forensic declaration, judicial declaration of God by which he declares the believing sinner to be righteous even while that believing sinner is in a sinning state. In other words, justification is not something we receive once we become fully holy. Justification is when we are declared righteous before God, even while we are in a sinning state, we are, unbe we are uh, in a sinning state in the sense that we're not perfect, morally perfect. So we are declared righteous forensically, judicially, in the court and in the eyes of God. So that at the moment of my faith, God sees me as being completely righteous. Now, that righteousness is not the righteousness that I deserve. It's not a righteousness that I fabricate. It's not a righteousness that I practice. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is credited to my account. 
and God declares me righteous while I am in a sinning state, even while I am uh, 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 here in the flesh and not morally perfect, and my righteousness is total, it is complete, because it belongs to somebody else, but it's credited to my account. Now here's how... Now, sanctification is me working out that righteousness, me becoming more righteous in practice over time. But in God's eyes, he sees me as completely righteous, as if I had done every good deed that Jesus Christ had ever done ever done, and completely fulfilled the law of God. That's how God sees the believing sinner. Sanctification is growing in holiness. So sanctification has to do with my experience. Justification has to do with what God has declared to be true concerning those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So here's some differences between justification and sanctification. Justification has to do with my legal standing. Did I say sanctification or justification? Let me try it again. Let's start it over. Justification has to do with my legal standing. Sanctification has to do with my internal condition. Justification is a once-for-all-time event. It is never repeated. It can never be repeated. Sanctification is something that goes on continuously throughout my life as a believer. Justification is something that is entirely God's work. Sanctification is something that I cooperate with God in the process of. And we're going to get to more of that in just a second. Justification is perfect in this life. Sanctification is never perfect in this life. Justification is the same in all Christians. Sanctification is greater in some than in others. Okay? doesn't matter if the, the believer is a brand new believer who trusted Christ 10 minutes ago. They are in the sight of God just as righteous as Lanny who's been walking with the Lord for 125 years. It doesn't matter concerning age or experience or maturity or knowledge. has nothing to do at all with justification. Every believer is equally righteous in the sight of God. Fully righteous because they have the righteousness of Christ. But some believers are much less holy in day-to-day conduct and much weaker in terms of their sanctification than other believers. Sanctification is different from believer to believer. The growth in sanctification is different from believer to believer as well. Some believers go really fast for a long period of time. Other believers just go re- grow really, really painfully, slowly over the course of their whole lives. You want to be the type of believer that grows really, really fast. Now, how do these times sometimes get mixed up? Some people confuse justification and sanctification when they begin to think that they are working in sanctification, trying to make themselves more holy, so that eventually at some point in this life they can become justified in the sight of God. See, that's confusing justification and sanctification. My sanctification, in terms of my daily progress in walking in holiness, begins when I am fully and forever justified. Then I progress in my walk with the Lord in holiness. Or, some people confuse justification and sanctification when they begin to think that They will live this entire life trying to grow in holiness enough so that when they die, then they are finally justified and declared righteous before God. That confuses justification and sanctification. When you believed upon Jesus Christ for salvation, you were fully justified. Every sin that you have ever committed in this life or will ever commit was imputed to Jesus Christ who suffered and died and bore the penalty for that sin on the cross. And all of his righteousness was imputed and transferred to your account. That's justification. At the moment of faith, that's when that happens. But then over the course of my life, I grow in sanctification. So that's what sanctification is. Now, why is sanctification necessary? The short answer to this question is because God wants a holy people, and we are not. We're not holy. We're we're not perfect. We're not morally conformed to the image of Christ in perfection. 
And so this is why growing in holiness and growing in sanctification over the course of our lives is a necessity. And this is why God does this work in his people, to grow us and to conform us into the image of Christ. And this idea of being sanctified and being made morally pure and holy, it is connected to the previous request in verses 15 and 16, where Jesus prays, not that we would be taken out of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one or from evil. And then we talked about the, 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 the prevalence of evil in the world. This is what the idea of being sanctified is sort of the other side of the coin of, of being kept from the evil one. It is not sufficient for me to merely be kept from threats external to me, from evil which is outside of me, or from the evil one who would seek to tempt me or to destroy me. So I must also be kept from evil that is internal to me. I must grow in sanctification. I must, I must be sanctified by God and made more and more holy in order that I may be kept in this world and be a useful vessel to him. That's what sanctification accomplishes. So why is it necessary? Because it's not sufficient for us just to be kept from external evil. We also want to be purged from internal evil. Not just protected from the outside, but purged and made new from the inside. And this is essential for the believer to live in the world. Sanctification is essential for you to live in this world. How is it that since the Lord has left us in this world, and he has not prayed to take us out of this world, but he has left us here intentionally for a mission, for a purpose, which we talked about last week, how is it that we might be kept and preserved in this world? One element of that is that we might be sanctified, set apart as holy. And the Lord Jesus himself is the example in this regard. He was the Holy One who lived in this world and yet remained completely untouched from the evil of this world and from sinners, unpolluted, undefiled from everything outside of him. And he maintained, maintained, was maintained in perfection and in holiness and in sinlessness for his whole life. Ultimately, the goal and desire of God in the heart of a believer is that we would do the very same thing, that we would be in this world, but be sanctified in this world, be holy in this world. That's what God is interested in producing in us. Holiness, conformity to the image of his son. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not so much take the Christian out of the world as to take the world out of the Christian. That is the glory of the gospel. It makes man a man free in the midst of hell. Think about that. It makes a man free in the midst of hell. The temptation, the seeds of temptation, have a hard time getting implanted in a sanctified heart. Because sanctification has to do with our affections being changed and our desires being changed and the inward man being changed. And then when temptation presents itself, it has a hard time taking root in a sanctified heart. In a heart that it has new affections and new desires, temptation doesn't have any root there. Temptation doesn't have any, any bearing upon a heart like that. It can't affect a heart like that. Why? Because we are sanctified from the inside out. And as we grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made more and more like him. We grow in this holiness, and suddenly sin becomes less and less alluring, less and less tempting. We sin less. We do righteousness more. We become slaves that offer our members as instruments of righteousness and obedience to faith and to the Lord Jesus Christ and not offering our instruments as members of unrighteousness to sin, as Romans chapter 6 talks about. So this is something that is essential for us, and, and it is essential provision for us in this world. This idea of being sanctified is also uh, key to th- actually this whole context that we've been looking at, this whole prayer. The Lord Jesus knew that he was leaving his people here, and he is praying that they would be set apart and made holy and protected and kept while they are here. And sanctification has to do with all of the other stuff that we've been looking at in the, uh, the verses which are immediately surrounding this one. For instance, in verse 13, Jesus prays, that the, the, they, they, the believers, may have joy in themselves. 
I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. How is it that believers have joy? How, how, how is it that we receive joy? What makes a believer joyful? Being in bondage to sin? Being just like the world? Those things do not bring joy to a true believer. True believers don't enjoy being part of the world and they don't enjoy sinning like the world sins. So how is it that we have joy? When we are conformed into the image of Christ and we change from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, that brings a true believer joy. When you look back on your life and say, when I first got saved, I was like this, and today I am like this, and here is how I have grown, a true believer takes joy in that. And verse 16 and 17, or verse 17 speaks of us being sanctified by the truth. His word is truth. That's connected also to the idea of being sent out into the world because God sanctifies his ministers, sanctifies his people before he sends his people. God is not interested in sending an unholy people into an unholy world. It doesn't do the world any good to have unholy people in it. The world's full of unholy people. The world needs holy people amongst unholy people. And that's what Christ does. Sanctifies, makes holy his people before he sends them out into the world. Spurgeon said this, How shall a holy God send out unholy messengers? An unsanctified minister is an unsent minister. An unholy missionary is a pest to the tribe he visits. An unholy teacher in a school is an injury rather than a blessing to the class he conducts. Only in proportion as you are sanctified unto God can you hope for the power of the Holy Spirit to rest on you and to work with you so as to bring others to the Savior's feet. How much may many of us and each of us have been hampered and hindered by want of holiness? A whole host may be defeated because of one Achan in the camp. And this is our constant fear. Holiness is an essential qualification to a man's fitness for being used of the Lord for the extension of his kingdom. That's why it's necessary. Because God makes us sanctified before he makes us sent. So what is holiness or sanctification? We've answered that. Why is it necessary? Because we, by nature, are an unholy people when we are saved. And so we need to be made holy and grow in sanctification. Now, how is this sanctification uh, done? How is this sanctification accomplished? Now, there's a ton. In fact, a whole series of messages that could be done just on how it is that we are sanctified because there's a ton of stuff to say. I want to limit it just to what is emphasized by the Lord Jesus here in this text, which is that we are sanctified in the truth and by the truth. Um, sanctification is something that we cooperate with God in. He kept that. It's something that we cooperate with God in. Uh, we are told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We are told to put off the deeds of darkness. We are told to have nothing to do with them. We are told to put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh, to put on the new man. There, there are things in, that we do that, that contribute to or are the God-ordained means toward our sanctification. It is not that we do these works and do these deeds in hopes of sort of putting sanctification into the sanctification bank so that we can call on it later on. That's not how it works. But rather, through these things that we are called to do, in obedience to the truth, as we work the truth out in our lives, we believe the truth, we obey the truth, we are made more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. I can fight against my sanctification by yielding my members as instruments of sin, or I can contribute to my sanctification by yielding my members as instruments of righteousness. And it's not that my yielding one way or the other contributes or takes out of some sanctification bank that I'm contributing to, but these are the means by which God sanctifies us. So we could go into um, baptism is in some ways a means of grace to this end. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace to this end. Hearing the word preached and preaching of the word and using our gifts and service, all of that could be uh, could be subjects for other messages, which we won't deal with now. We are sanctified by the truth or in the truth. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them, that is, to, to make holy or make righteous your people in the truth. And then Jesus clarifies it. Your word is truth. Now by that he means... Obviously, the Old Testament, which was already given, 
But since earlier this evening Jesus had promised revelation and further understanding to these 11 men, these disciples to whom he was speaking, there is, an ascent, there is a sense in which he also has in view, obviously, the New Testament revelation, which he knew that he would give and which he knew the Spirit of truth would reveal. So what is it that God uses to sanctify the believer? We are sanctified in the truth, in the Old Testament Scriptures, the New Testament Scriptures. These things are sufficient. These things are profitable for us for life and for godliness. We have been given all that pertains to life and godliness in the pages of God's Word. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we have been given the instrument, the means, the tool by which the Spirit of God sanctifies His people. Now notice that Jesus says, your word is truth. And He doesn't say, your word contains truth or your word reveals truth. In fact, and this is key, Jesus doesn't even say, your word is true. If He had said, your word is true, He would be using true in the sense of it being an adjective, as if something else is true, but God's word conforms to that. Let's use that. What does he say? Truth. Your word is truth. Not just your word is true, not your word contains truth, not whether your word is a vehicle for truth, but your word is truth. Truth is synonymous with this book. This book is truth. And that's significant given that in the next chapter, verse 38, Pilate is going to stand and look right in the eyes of the one who is the truth and say, what is truth? And he asked that question. And here's the answer to it. God's word is truth. Not just that God's word is true. It is. It's every word. It's every jot. It's every tittle. It's every nuance. Everything that is intended by there. It is true. But it is also truth. It is the thing which is the truth. And God sanctifies his people in the truth. God's word is truth. Now does God, does the truth just by itself sanctify us? Think carefully. Does the word or the truth just by itself sanctify us? The answer to that is no. You see, an unbeliever can listen to the word of God preached. An unbeliever can memorize scripture. An unbeliever can read scripture. An unbeliever can hear scripture. An unbeliever can sing scripture. And it has no effect upon the unbeliever whatsoever. There is something that is required, a necessary component, which the believer has that the unbeliever does not have, that makes the truth effective to the end of sanctification. And what is that missing element? It is the spirit of truth. It is the truth is the tool that the spirit of God uses to sanctify the people of God and to make us holy. Truth falling on the ears of an unbeliever is completely useless unless the spirit of God takes that truth and uses it to make that person more holy, which he will only do in the case of a believer. Notice that Jesus doesn't pray for the world. He's already said earlier in the prayer, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. He's not praying these things for the world. He's not praying these things for world leaders. He's not praying these things for politicians. He's praying these things for his people. He wants his people to be sanctified, his people to be holy. These things he prays for believers because it wouldn't do any good to pray this for an unbeliever. These, th these things, being, being sanctified, is only something that can happen in the life of a believer. And it is not the truth alone that does this deed. It is Scripture, the truth, accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon said this again, The truth alone will not sanctify a man. We may maintain an orthodox creed, and it's highly important that we should do so, but if it does not touch our heart and influence our character, what is the value of our orthodoxy? It's not the doctrine which of itself sanctifies, but the Father sanctifies by means of the doctrine. My brethren, God himself must work within you. The Holy Ghost must inhabit you, and this can only come to you by faith in the Lord Jesus. Believe in him for your sanctification, even as you have believed on him for your pardon and justification. He alone can bestow sanctification upon you, for it is the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
There is only one tool that God has ordained and given for the sanctification of his people. And what is it? It is the word of God. Not visions, not dreams, not promptings, not nudgings, not still small voices, not private revelations, not Jesus calling, which claims to be God's word, but is not. Not devotionals, not the days of praise, not any other book that has ever been written has God given or ordained as the means by which his people are made holy. This is the tragedy of modern evangelicalism. That there is whole philosophies of church ministries and whole philosophies of church growth where the idea is to hide this from people in order to get them saved and then to grow them slowly in grace over a period of time. When this is the very thing that God has ordained for the salvation of his people and for their sanctification. And, and I have heard church leaders and pastors who have said this to me, that, that their goal is not necessarily to preach the scriptures to mature believers, but that their goal is to reach the lost and then to grow up these immature believers in their congregation. What has God given to those two ends for us? He has given scripture. And so these people apparently think that they're smarter than God and they use some other means, and they hide Scripture, and minimize it, and refuse to preach it, and refuse to teach it in all of its fullness and glory, because they don't want to turn people away, they don't want to drive people away, they don't want to offend people, they don't want people to leave. That is a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And and sometimes I, I listen to messages, or I watch them online from churches, and some of you have been. I know you've come from churches like this, and, and you've confessed this to me. And I sometimes ask myself, I wonder if they sit around, the pastors sit around in churches after the service, and they say to themselves, hey, did you see how I see how I snuck that reference to the Bible in right between the video clip from the latest summer blockbuster and that quote from Mahatma Gandhi? See how I snuck it in there? I bet people didn't even notice that. When the very thing that God has given for his people is the word of God. And, and if a church or a ministry or your life does not revolve around this, you are neglecting to your own peril the very tool that God has given to you for your sanctification. Don't read any other book if you don't read this book. Don't read any other thing unless you read this book. Neglect it at your own peril. As Peter says, you should long for the pure milk of the word like newborn babes so that you may grow in respect to salvation because of the word of God. This is the tool. In this book, God has given to us everything that pertains to life and for godliness. This truth is the thing that convicts the hearts of unbelievers so that they might believe. This truth is the thing that grows up immature Christians into mature Christians. And if you are a day old in the Lord in Jesus Christ, or if you are decades old or a half a century old in the Lord, this book is still the same thing that you need. You need this on day one. You need this on the day before you die if you've been in Christ for 70 years. It doesn't matter. This book is all we have. This book is what God has given to us, and it is sufficient. And the tragedy of modern evangelicalism is that it has neglected, and this is not viewed as sufficient. Everything else is viewed as more powerful than this book. And this is the thing that God has given to us for our sanctification. Do not neglect it. Do not neglect it for anything, for any reason, for any purpose, for any period of time. And if you do, you hinder your own growth in grace. You hinder your own growth in sanctification. In hearing the Word of God preached, in memorizing the Word of God, in reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, in submitting to the Word of God and obeying the Word of God, these are the things that pertain to our sanctification. And all of it revolves around what? The truth. That's why Jesus could say, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. This is the means by which we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us in saving us. 
You have given to us a sufficient word, a word that is sufficient to save, to secure us, to sanctify us, and to, to secure us for everlastingly for all of eternity. There's nothing else that we need but what you have given to us in your word. This is what we confess. This is what we know to be true. Make it the constant realization of everything that we do and the constant attitude that we as your people have toward your word each and every day. May you continue to sanctify us in the truth and by the truth for the glory of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.